We're talking with Robin Wigglesworth, the Financial Times Global Finance Correspondent, uh, who's written a new book called Trillions. And what's the, the last part of it? It's how uh, a, a band of Wall Street renegades invented the index fund and changed finance forever. That's a, that's a mouthful right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so well, I'm a journalist, so I like wordy long sentences. But I wanted <laughs> something that really summed out the the how monumental the story I wanted to tell was. And and it is monumental. And, and you've got the numbers there. And we'll tell people a little bit about that. But first of all, let's start with this, because uh, you, you probably speak to people who know the ins and outs of finance and, and how it's changing and all that. But for the rest of us, just what is an index fund? How would you explain that? Well, it's a great question, actually, because sometimes, you know, a lot of people, you know, nod along and, and don't always think about what it really means. But an index fund is just an investment fund that tracks an index. It's kind of in the name. But what is an index? An index is just a list of financial securities. So in the US, the most famous is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's been around for, you know, well over a century. It's really old. It's established. But it's actually a, a pretty poor measure of the U.S. economy because it's only 30 stocks and it has all sorts of technical little glitches that makes it a poor index in many ways. In the U.S., the biggest and most important one is the S&P 500, which isn't as well known, but it tracks all the 500 biggest listed stocks in the U.S. So that's Apple, Facebook, J.P. Morgan, Boeing, Under Armour, and so on. And an index fund essentially doesn't try to choose between what's hot and what's not. It just buys all the stocks in that index according to their weightings there. So obviously mm. you invest more money in Apple than in Under Armour. It is perfectly in sync with how much value that company is. So an Apple, which is valued at what night, almost 2 trillion now, has a far greater weighting than Under Armour or uh, JP Morgan, for example. Gotcha. So an index fund is cheap because they don't have to hire analysts. They don't have to hire, hire portfolio managers, even really lawyers and accountants. It's pretty simple. These days you can do it with an algorithm and you can provide an index fund like that for you know a tenth of what a mutual fund costs or even a hundredth of what a hedge fund might cost. And and with in, in sort of in partnership with that uh, is the term passive investing. You use that, and that's the the use of the index fund. Is that correct? Yes. So mm -hmm. I've never really found out why these terms were invented. I talked to lots of the people who invented index funds. They just didn't call them index funds at the time, really. And mm -hmm. nobody knows who where it started. And people think passive investing almost started as a pejorative because it sounds lazy. Oh, you're a <laughs> passive investor. Well, I'm an active investor. That's way uh -huh. better. Right. And it was kind of just gradually entered the lingua franca of investing. Uh, and I, you know, lots of people in the index investing world still hate the term. I use them interchangeably uh, because there are a lot of things that is passive investing that is not technically in an index fund. It just is a investment vehicle that tracks an index so passive investing i think is a good broad catch-all term for it and it is descriptive we're talking with robin wigglesworth the financial correspondent for the financial times and and just a quick thing on the financial times i i remember my dad getting that sometimes i think of this sort of old-fashioned london uh <laughs> broadsheet 
but it's it's changed with the times, hasn't it? And in fact, we should tell people you're actually not based in London, but where you were in Norway or where where, yeah. where are you at? I'm I'm in Norway, Oslo, mm-hmm. Norway. So well, why is that? Well, despite the Harry Potter-esque last name I have, uh, I'm actually from Oslo. So my father moved here for a few years with my with my mother, and he thought, you know, I'll try out Norway for a bit. And then lo and behold, 40 years later, you were still here. So I, I travel around the world with the FT and, and Bloomberg News in the US as well. And I was based in New York for a good five years, four or five years. But eventually, you know, the kids, uh, I wanted them to grow up close to their grandparents. And the FT as you say, is if now these days a fairly forward-thinking organization. So they said, well, you can be a global correspondent based out of Oslo. Right. There hasn't been a lot of roaming or travel since COVID crisis, though. Right. Well, that, that may be changing. Um, we're talking with Robin about his book, Trillions. And we, we ought to say, you know, and I, I love the little lines that, that they always, publishers always use. But I think in this case, it, it's, a, it's well taken. Uh, one of these is from uh, Tim Harford, author of How to Make the World Add Up. And his little comment, and they use it in the press release, grab some popcorn and take a front row seat because Robin Wigglesworth has an astonishing story to tell you. And I, I say that because, um, yeah, when you get into this book, you, you might think, oh, no, index funds and passive investing. Oh, my God. You know, this, if you're not of a, of a mind to, to read that, you think, no, this is going to be dreary. But instead... It's fascinating, and, and I think you got a movie on your hands, but I, I, I'll let others decide that. But here, here's some of the characters, and again, I'm reading right off the press release. And I'll let you, if you would, explain a little bit about these characters. Economist wonder kid Gene Fama, humiliated industry executive Jack Bogle, bullheaded and computer-obsessive John McQuown, if that's the right pronunciation, and avuncular former World War II submariner, Nate most these are the guys that did what no i mean they just you know they might it's a bit like my children i struggle to choose my favorite one of them uh, <laughs> but they're all remarkable human beings really uh, so gene farmer maybe i'll start with him he was uh, an economics professor or he is still actually an economics professor at chicago despite being in his 80s now and he was the guy that came up with the term efficient markets so this is still really controversial, but essentially he pointed out that actually stock markets seemed to move pretty randomly and there was no evidence that human fund managers can over time beat it because the market is efficient. But whenever new information comes in, it gets beaten into the stock price pretty quickly. So you might win one, have you know, a good day, a good month, a good year, maybe even a good decade. But in the long run, there was very little to zero evidence that anybody did any better. So that efficient markets theory was kind of the, the foundation stone of what was the first generation of index funds. And the first one came from Mac McQuown, a former Illinois farmhand. He was a, a, a engineer on a Navy destroyer uh, and studied mechanical engineering at a time where Wall Street you know, didn't really want engineers. Uh, but he ended up uh, in investment banking, kind of hated that, uh, especially when he tried to use computers, which was considered absolutely heretical at the time. Uh, but eventually he ended up at San Francisco at Wells Fargo, which was then just a you know, small regional bank of little consequence. Uh, and he was given carte blanche to hire this superstar cast of economists, including Gene Farmer, as consultants, and they cooked up the first index fund. 
And then Jack Bogle uh, had, you know, suddenly in the mid 70s been sacked by uh, his partners at Wellington at the time. And he was allowed to set up this new administrative unit called a Vanguard that was going to do all the admin work for the Wellington funds. It was kind of a, just, um, a freebie they, they threw him out of sympathy, really, after he'd been sacked. But he decided to do something more. And this was the era when index funds were starting to take off a little bit among some pension funds. And he thought, well, aha, I can give that to the ordinary Americans. Ordinary Americans knew this as well. So that was the birth of Vanguard and, and the spreading of that indexing revolution to you know, outside big pension plans and so on. And Nate Most, uh, you know, the only one I haven't really spoken to um, in the process of reporting my book, because sadly he passed away a few years ago, uh, he invented the exchange traded fund in the 90s, which is a tradable index fund. And that is uh, a pretty phenomenal feat of financial engineering that, you know, remains controversial. Jack Bogle hated it, uh, but is really, really impactful and is now in many respects, ascendant over the mutual fund, which is a, a structure that's been around now for over a century. So it's a pretty remarkable achievement by Nate Most. And he was a submariner because he studied acoustical physics uh, in World War II. It, it is a fascinating group. And then, of course, there are many others. And, and Warren Buffett leads off in your book um, <clears throat> with, with all kinds of things. And, and probably he's probably the best known uh, for, the, for the general public, right, in, in terms of... Uh, uh, somebody who speaks for the financial uh, world, I guess you could say, because uh, Buffett is, has been around a long time. Um, but we should tell, we, we're talking with Robin Wigglesworth, the author of Trillions, which is a, about the, the renegades that invented the index fund and, and changed finance, how big this is. Because you make a point of that, um, if, if somebody listening to this and, and wonders, well, you know, it's it's all about, you know, money, but this is a lot of money. This is... I think you said passive investing accounts for like 26 trillion, which is higher than the entire gross product, domestic product of the United States. So yes. it's, it's huge. No, it's, it's absolutely colossal. I think people don't really realize that this, the scope of it, maybe because, you know, some people, some people might look at the U.S. numbers and say, well, oh, it's 11 trillion. And that's obviously huge as well. But then they look at the global figures of index funds and that's 17 trillion. But if you include all the de facto index funds at big pension funds like CalPERS and CalSTRS or sovereign wealth funds in the Gulf or here in Norway where I live, or you know even lots of private banks in Geneva and Zurich, a lot of people run in-house index funds. They don't pay a Vanguard or BlackRock or do it because it's pretty simple these days. So they just do it themselves. And if you include those internal index strategies, index tracking strategies, then I calculate based on some various data sources I've cobbled together that we're talking at least 26 trillion globally. And yes, that is just enormous. Uh, and, that's and, a big chunk of the entire investment universe of the entire world. And, and with that, uh, I think, and, and this is part of what uh, you're, you're writing about, um, is there's, there's a little bit of uh, controversy here. Now, I mean, it's has it gotten too big for its britches or, or too powerful? What, what's, the, uh, what's the latest on that? Is there a backlash against uh, this, this power that's grown so big? 
Well, there's been a backlash almost since its genesis, right? I mean, active managers, Wall Street has always hated index funds because obviously it means they make less money and nobody right. really likes that, right? Um, but Especially it's definitely Wall grown. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's grown bigger over the past, let's say, decade because since the financial crisis, it has exploded in size. So it was already big and growing before 2008, but since then it's just taken off. And I think... That is leading to a lot of concerns where I, I see of varying validity. There are some areas like the idea that index funds are wrecking markets or manipulating markets or distorting them, I think are a little bit factious. And when you strip away lots of the hyperbole, it's basically just, you know, traditional hedge fund managers, active managers complaining that their jobs are getting harder. But they're still awake, making way more money than they ever had done before. So my sympathy is somewhat limited. Um, then there are issues like there's just so many different index funds. Like when we say index fund, that can mean everything that tracks, let's say, the S&P 500 index that I mentioned to, you know, uh, biotech stocks or using deri derivatives to make like leveraged bets on oil companies. There are all mm. sorts of things you can do. And unfortunately, you know, the... The reason why index funds were born is that the realization that we actually are really bad investors, even professional investors are on average actually bad to mediocre investors. But we're kind of with index funds discovering new ways to make the same dumb mistakes we have through history. Like the idea that doing something cheaply, broadly and not overthinking things actually works pretty well in investing we're giving people all sorts of really gimmicky funds. And I do worry about that for ordinary investors. And then there's just these, the size issue, that these companies are so big and they are so dominant, especially the big three. State Street, where the ETF was first invented, uh, Vanguard, which brought indexing to the masses, and BlackRock, which in 2009 bought the old Wells Fargo part that invented the first index funds and had grown the biggest exchange-traded fund unit as well. So those three together managed $20 trillion, and I count already for almost a quarter on average of all shares cast, all shares voted uh, in US listed companies. And that's just huge. It's just going to grow and grow. And I think there are legitimate concerns around that concentration of corporate power. Right. Uh, you know, we're talking with Robin Wigglesworth, who's uh, written the book Trillions about the index fund explosion and then passive investing. And and a very fascinating look at the, the subject. Um, what do you say to someone? We got just time for one more thing. What do you say to someone who's um, not, not, I'm not looking for financial advice from you because that's not your, your part, but what, with somebody who wants to get educated a little more, say you've, you've uh, tweaked their interests, where should they go from there? Obviously, they want to keep reading the Financial Times, but what, what else would you suggest to somebody in this world of ours who is so global? Um, to find out more about the, the whole global finance thing? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, it was the Financial Times and, you know, the NME is the journal, the Wall Street Journal, but it is a phenomenal newspaper. Uh, I hate them, but I admire them enormously. <laughs> um, and it's time from my book. I think a good one-stop shop is, is Burton Malkiel's A Random Walk Down Wall Street. Okay. which was seminal when it first came out in the 70s, but it's been updated something like 20 times because it is still a stone-cold classic that will give you a lot of tools and understanding. It's written for ordinary people, but it doesn't talk down to them. 
it's sophisticated, smart, it's cutting, and it's still current. It's still a book I give to young financial journalists that want to learn more. Uh, so a random walk down Wall Street is, I think, a great uh, starting point. And then people just have to hit me up for more book recommendations because I've got more. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll uh, get you next time on that, Robin. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck with trillions. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just be watching what's going to go help, go on in this fascinating world of ours. Thank no, you again. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me on. Okay. Bye-bye.